Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, and then we talk about it. Uh, last week we did something from my collection, a Child's Play, and this time we're moving on over to Lindsay's. What did you pick out for us today? I chose Big, one of Tom Hanks' great movies. I feel like there's a little bit of a connection for me between this and Child's Play. Really? Do go on. With Child's Play, you explained that you thought it it, kind of seemed like a children's movie, at least one of the sequels, right? Oh, I think that the whole series is sort of aimed at kids. I kind of feel like that's the way Big is, too. It feels like it would be a children's movie, but it's really meant for adults, especially watching it as an adult now. I originally saw it as a kid and always thought of it as kind of a children's movie, and it's only on this watch that I realized, whoa, it's not. Or was it that this is the first time you're watching it through adult eyes? That's true. There's a little boy that's frustrated about being young and small, and so he wishes to be big, and his wish is granted, and he's turned into an adult, but then he doesn't know what to do with himself. Well, he makes a pretty good adult. I mean, he becomes the vice president. Almost immediately, I feel like he becomes the vice president of a toy company. Yeah, which is every kid's dream. Yeah. In fact, it's his childlike wisdom and insight into what makes for a cool toy that kind of propels him to the top of this toy empire. Which is really funny because you see him interacting with adults and they're all astounded by him, but they don't really think, wow, this guy's off his rocker. They just kind of go with it. I mean, maybe they think of him as like an idiot savant or something. That was kind of how I read some of his interactions. I could see that. The toy company is run by Macmillan, played by a cantankerous Robert Logia, who's kind of a big kid himself. What is Robert Logia in? What else has he been in? Um, you would know him from Independence Day. He's like the Secretary of Defense in that. Oh. Or he, he's one. He's some like big cabinet member. He's also in Lost Highway. I don't know. I feel like he almost always plays kind of heavies. And I was interested to see him in this because he's a much lighter character. Very light. He's very likable. But yeah, what you were saying earlier about this movie is that if you view it as a kid, it's awesome because every kid kind of wants to be a grown-up. Oh, yeah. And it's he has totally this, the kid's dream. And he has this amazing apartment that's just filled with toys and like a Pepsi <laughs> vending machine <laughs> and a trampoline. Yeah, a giant blow-up Godzilla. The trampoline is next to the windows, which is extremely concerning to yeah, me. Yeah, that's, that's dangerous. I really like just kind of the kooky carnival nature of of the mad it's sort of like magical realism that we're into yeah with this because there's definitely a fantasy element i and i like this about the movie the device that sort of makes him into tom hanks makes this little boy josh into a full-grown tom hanks is this fortune telling machine zoltar mm-hmm. Which you had heard about before you even saw this film right? there's certain iconography from this movie that i feel like you just can't escape like the famous scene at FAO Schwartz where Robert Logia and Tom Hanks are dancing on the giant piano keyboard. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's an iconic thing. Oh, yeah. I also feel like, yeah, Zolt- that Zoltar machine is is iconic as well. Yeah, I mean, 
thinking of the piano scene, it's so iconic that this is a Fox Selections VHS. And it's funny because when we watched Commando, one of our earliest episodes, they the ad for the Fox Selections series in Commando had multiple scenes from Big. It was very Big-centric. I think it even ended with the line of Tom Hanks getting off the roller coaster and saying, let's do that again. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy watching it to think that this is one of AFI's top 100 uh, comedies of all time. Yeah, I think it's definitely got a big following. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that it's a 20th Century Fox selection. That leads us to trailer talk. And, uh, which is what I've decided we're going to call that section of the show. Okay. Um, no, we don't have to do that. No, we can go with that. So again, we get, just like on the Commando tape, we're going way back to episode two here. We get this big mishmash of all these random movies. I mean, they're everything from movies that are arguably classics, like Big and Young Frankenstein, to just like, you know... Arbitrary, this was a Fox one that we're re-releasing. You got Predator 2, Cocoon 2, Hot Shots Part 2. You've got a <laughs> lot of sequels just kind of thrown in there. And of course Big is still featured. It was different. It's not the same Fox Selections trailer that we saw in Commando, though. Yeah, I was glad that it was a different one. In fact, I'm not even sure if Commando was featured in this ad. Actually, that's a good point. I'm not sure it was. And it's so jarring how quickly they cut through all these movies. Yeah, well, you can barely pick up what they are until they do the segment of the of the ad where they're flashing through the titles. And even when they do the titles, they're almost subliminal. They're so fast, I feel like. So not really effective, I guess, unless you just want to look for Fox movies. I mean, they, they select them to be part of the selections. Yeah. But this is how we know this is a movie for adults, because there are not very many trailers. It was just the one. Which is a theory of yours, although I feel like uh, there's been some cases, like Little Nemo just had a Tropicana ad. Well, that's because Little Nemo was kind of a dud of a movie. That's true, but I don't know. I shouldn't say that. One of my friends actually really likes that movie. Oh, okay. It had its moments. How old were you when you first really got into this movie? Oh, jeez. Or when you first saw it? Early elementary school. Okay. I was probably six or so. So even younger than the protagonist of the movie. Yeah, 12 years old. He turns 13. He turns 13 during the movie, this is true. So he becomes a teenager. And boy, does he have an exciting first year of being a teenager. I think one of the things that really stuck with me with this film, and I've seen it multiple times in my life, but I haven't seen it since I was a kid. It's really Tom Hanks' performance is so charming and endearing. That's just something that I've always remembered, just being kind of mesmerized by how well he plays a an adult that is really a child. And I would say no one's done it better. I mean, he was nominated for an Oscar for this performance. Which this is directed by Penny Marshall, who did a lot of TV work, but it's funny because one of her main choices for this role was actually John Travolta. I think it would work with Travolta, but it would be a very different movie. Yeah, and I don't think it would have been the classic that it is. I don't know. Tom Hanks is just so fresh-faced in this. He's practically a kid already. That there, that sense of wonder yeah. is really embodied through him. You had said when we were watching a Tom Hanks movie not that long ago that Tom Hanks is the master of the, the guy next door, the everyday Joe. Yeah, which is kind of the hardest thing to do, I feel like. I mean, there's so many great character actors out there that 
can play, you know, like the tough or the hood or mm -hmm. the the sidekick or the comic relief. I really feel like the hardest thing to play in a movie is just a normal guy. Yeah. I mean, this is a little bit different because he's playing a little kid. So he has a little more to chew on, but Tom Hanks has made like a career out of just playing pretty normal dudes. I think that it's much more challenging than he's often given credit for. They supposedly he was mimicking, they had a, the child actor that played him as the 12 year old. Apparently the, they used that actor to do some of the scenes after he becomes an adult. And then Tom Hanks would kind of watch that and then mimic it, right? To try and pick up some of those mannerisms to be more believable. Yeah, I mean, there's some dubious sources out there that claim that they did that for every single scene. That seems unlikely. I, that doesn't seem likely. I feel like child labor laws would stop David I, Moscow, who played young Josh, from being on the set all the time yeah. to do that for Tom Hanks. I could see early in the process them doing it for some scenes just to get some practice in. I'm trying to think his his biggest movie before this was Splash, wasn't it? Uh, that was big in our household, but I honestly don't know if Splash is a hit or not. I know it was Ron Howard. I grew up absolutely loving Splash. Is that considered a good movie? I think so. It's really hard it's, to say. It's because been a it, long time since I've seen yeah. it, but it definitely does not... I was also obsessed with Willow as a kid. I kind of feel like there's this whole class of movies that I found on VHS and Princess Bride and that sort of thing. I feel like Splash, unlike those other movies you mentioned, particularly Princess Bride, people don't really talk about Splash anymore. No, they don't, which is a bummer to me. That'd be a good one to have on the podcast. I remember we had a bootleg copy of Splash <laughs> for some reason. I don't think we had a legit copy. I think that... Uh, I know my grandpa had this whole collection of bootleg copies he would make. Cause he'd... Would he hook up two VCRs? No, as I remember it, he would just uh, look through the TV guide for movies that he liked, and then he'd record it and just keep it. Okay, well, that's not as bad as what we did. I you guys like would make copies? We had, I don't know, it was odd, because it was select franchises of movies that we would have bootleg copies of, and Splash. Like, we had a tape that had, like, Gremlins and Gremlins 2 on it. <laughs> but then we also had a tape that had Jaws 1, 2, 3 on it. Interesting. And then we also had a tape that had, like, all the earnest movies on it. So it was kind of a... Wait, when we watched Gremlins at Christmas, was that wasn't your bootleg. No. That I think was we... a VHS, though. No, I think what happened was, I mean, when you do that, and, and you know, piracy's bad, folks, but when you do that, I think that it's just such a degenerative copy that it just uh... wears out a lot quicker. We eventually bought the movies that we actually liked that we had, okay. that we would care to see again like you know gotcha. the classics like jaws gremlins <laughs> ernest goes to jail you gotcha, know gotcha gotcha i forgot oh yeah splash <laughs> we, we went off on a big tangent there and Daryl Hannah, that's someone you don't see anymore this isn't relevant to the podcast anymore no it is this, this is movie talk okay well i guess Daryl Hannah had sort of a comeback there for a minute did she she's kind of kill bill Oh, that's right. She wasn't Kill Bill. Okay. I feel like Tom Hanks was on the verge of becoming really big. He'd done Splash. Around this time? Around this time. Had he already done Turner and Hooch at this point? Turner and Hooch came after this, I think. Oh, that's Wait, odd. Wait, double check, because I'm pretty sure that came after this. 
Yeah, okay, so Turner and Hooch is after, and so is the Burbs. Yeah, and you've never seen The Man with One Red Shoe, have you? I hadn't even heard of that. That's another 20th Century Fox selection. See, I just, I guess I was convinced as a kid that those were all the classics that everyone had seen. I always confuse The Man with One Red Shoe and Big, actually, because they both have similar covers with a lot of white and red. Well, and they're also both 20th Century Fox selections. This is true. Not, not just any movie gets selected. Oh, yeah. It's a very... Just every Fox movie <laughs> from that time. <laughs> hey, I don't think The Fly 2 is a 20th Century Fox selection. Is it not? I, I kind of doubt it. Probably not. Uh, well, here here are some other movies that he did before Big. Just to, just to set the scene a little bit. He did a movie called Bachelor Party. Haven't seen that. No. Volunteers. No. The Money Pit. Nope. Nothing in common. Mm-mm. Every time we say goodbye. Yeah, really, I only know the man with one red shoe and splash before that. Okay, and right before this, he did Dragnet, which I imagine was just an adaptation of the TV show. Sounds like it. But yeah, I haven't seen any of those movies. Well, you've seen Man with One Red Shoe, but mm-hmm. I feel like this might be his first classic performance. Like, this is... Yeah. This is kind of his first real... That's what I was kind of inching towards here. Oh, I see. Hasn't quite done Joe versus the Volcano yet, but he's he's heading in that direction. I feel like the 90s is when he really hit his stride. Oh, yeah. I mean, with Sleepless in Seattle... League of Their Own. Well, Forrest Gump was a big one. Philadelphia. Apollo 13 was also a huge hit, wasn't it? Yeah, the voice of Woody in Toy Story. Saving Private Ryan, You've Got Mail... Then capped it all off with the Green Mile. I've introduced you to a lot of Tom Hanks movies because you had also not seen Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. Well, you had not seen Child's Play. It's true, it's true. <laughs> Actually, I know a big Tom Hanks movie you haven't seen is Castaway. This is, yeah, I have not. Which was a movie I thought would stay popular longer than it has. It's kind of fallen away. Yeah. But people still get the jokes. You still see the volleyball. You still see Wilson around. Yeah, there people, we go. People get the references, but it hasn't had the staying power that other Tom Hanks movies have. Like the Da Vinci Code, which also kind of disappeared. Everyone forgot about it. Well, there's another one of those in the works. Ugh. Yeah. So we did mention Penny Marshall earlier. Penny Marshall actually appeared in one of the other movies we've done on this podcast, which is Hocus Pocus. She and her husband, Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall's really famous for The Princess Diaries. They both did a cameo appearance in Hocus Pocus. Yes, she was the devil's wife. And he was the (laughs) devil. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Penny Marshall is actually the first female director of a movie to gross over a hundred million dollars so she's got that feather in her cap i think it's really interesting to think of this from a female director's perspective especially given josh's relationship with susan this Mm -hmm. older woman played by elizabeth perkins well, I, I shouldn't say older, because she's about Tom Hanks's age, but definitely yeah. older than our 13-year-old protagonist. Well, when they first meet, he's 12. Yeah. But yeah, she's, I would say, what, in her early 30s? Yeah. She's working at the same toy company, and this is one area where I feel like if this movie is made today, and inevit- inevitably it'll be remade. I mean, yeah. there's been similar things to this. 13 going on 30 comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, 
You know, I feel like they would dance around the sex a little bit more. because yeah. this and Sean th- says the sex because they have sex in this movie. This 13-year-old kid does, in fact, have sex with this yeah. 30-year-old they do. woman. It does, it does happen after his 13th birthday, so he's... He's of age. Nah. <laughs> right? No. Isn't that how that works? No. And this is the, one of the things that I did not remember about this movie at all until I watched it this time, and I was kind of freaked out. It's it, so funny because... It, it got I, under my skin a little bit because I was thinking, man, this is darker than I remember. It's not dark. I mean, it doesn't mean to be because he has this excited teenage innocence. It is something that I don't think would be made now. I think you're making a good point. I think that they'd find some way out of it because there's yeah. the scene when she's starting to undress and I was thinking, you know, through my PC 21st century eyes, like, oh, how are they going to get out of this one? And they don't. They They totally yeah. hook up. And uh, through no fault of her own. I mean, she, no, doesn't, she, she doesn't understand that he's yeah. 13. But she still. firmly believes that he is the same age as her. Which, it's kind of funny. So, after Tom Hanks has become an adult and he's living in New York and he's used his computer skills, video game playing skills to get himself a job, he's working at this toy company and she is one of the up-and-coming wannabe titans in this toy company and she's kind of dating this other guy that's a douchebag and he also wants to be a titan in the toy company yeah paul played by john hurd who you may know as the dad in home alone among many other things oh yeah Yeah. i didn't actually i didn't notice that but you're right it's actually rare to see him playing like the asshole in a movie and he does it well he does it very well um he was actually he's kind of like that on the sopranos too but sorry carry on oh no that's fine See, they kind of set up that she's dating this guy, and they they may you kind of feel like oh, they're so much alike. But then there's kind of a moment when Tom Hanks shows up to a party in a sparkling suit and eats food in a funny way. There's eats a classic, baby corn. Yeah, there's a classic scene with him eating baby corn as if it's real corn, so he's nibbling off the. The Colonel. It's so endearing. It's really cute. I don't think that would be as endearing with John Travolta. No, definitely not. But John Travolta would have been great in the sparkling white tux. Oh, yeah. She, You can kind of see that she's enchanted by his childlike quality. And I think it's because she's kind of tired of this cutthroat business world and needs an escape. Right? Like, that's kind of how it happens, and they they end up kind of having this romantic evening after that, although he thinks of it as just a play date. Yeah. But, she, and you can see she's getting frustrated, because he keeps, he, like, he's hitting buttons in the car, and, he's like... He's fascinated with the limo. Yeah. I mean, can you blame him? She's trying to unload her heart to him, and he's not even paying attention, because it's so cool that the limo has a moonroof. And, you know, I kind of love how their relationship is handled, I have to say, because... Uh-huh. By highlighting the way this 13-year-old behaves in a relationship, it's kind of just an illustration of a relationship where the man is just too immature Mm -hmm. or just is kind of stuck in like a childlike state. And it's kind of a great metaphor for that. Yeah. It's also just kind of darling because she kind of lets her hair down and gets to act like a kid. And for her, it's just so freeing, right? She gets this escape and they go out and get stuffed animals and they go to the carnival and all this other stuff and so you can kind of see how she gets pulled in and so there's they have this element of innocence to their relationship where it's not 
as disturbing that they end up having sex, right? Yeah. Because he's also, as she's aging down, he's kind of aging up. Yeah, absolutely. And he's he's really, we should mention his friend Billy, who's kind of a wunderkind himself. I he's, mean, the, he, he's definitely the grown-up in the relationship between the two boys. Because once this happens to, to Josh, once he wakes up and sees I'm Tom Hanks... <laughs> He has his freak out, he puts on his dad's clothes, like his dad's giant's hoodie, and of course his mom does... This is kind of one of the darker elements of the movie, besides the whole statutory rape thing. Um, His mom is terrified, because it's this grown man wearing her son's underwear. Yeah, because he tries to prove, Mom, it's me, so he pulls down his pants and shows his cartoon character underwear. And for her, I mean, she thinks that there's a strange man in my house and he's wearing my son's undies. I mean, and he even makes a ransom call later. I mean, it's kind of horrifying (laughs) because for us watching this, it's like a fun adventure, but his mom is in hell well, during this she, entire experience. Because he does the ransom call from work because he just wants to talk to his mom. Like, because he's, he's a kid. and But for her, she thinks it's the man that kidnapped her son and is probably molesting him every day. Yeah, so it, Josh, right off the bat, finds himself in a precarious situation. He has to run from his own home with only the clothes on his back. And thanks to a special song... Uh, that I think is also probably the third iconic thing of this movie. That song, it's a special song that only he and his friend Billy know. He convinces his friend Billy that, yes, it's me, I look like Tom Hanks now, but it's still me, Josh. And it's his friend Billy who has the wherewithal to say, like, okay, we need to, they're in New Jersey, we need to get you to New York. All people are going to be looking for this kidnapper who looks like Tom Hanks. New York is cool. It's the place that everybody goes. He he checks him into this seedy hotel. He kind of picks up the uh, pursuit of finding this Zoltar machine. He also picks, helps Josh find a job. He's yeah. the one that helps him find a job. Man, how place. great was this job market apparently in the late 80s where he could walk into... I mean, I guess it's because he knows how to use a computer. Yeah. But he's able to get a job without a real social security number because he, he doesn't know his. Because he doesn't know his own. He forgot. Yeah. And, well, when you're a kid, you don't know that stuff. No, I, don't. I don't think I, I knew... I didn't know mine until college, actually. I, yeah, I don't think I knew mine until I got my first high school job. But, yeah, you know, it's really uh, Billy who's helping him out all the way. And it, Billy's under the understanding, like, yeah, let's get you turned into a kid as soon as possible. But yeah. you're right in that Josh kind of really likes being an adult, and he's pretty good at it, too. He becomes good at it. I think one of the things that they do well is by having Billy take that kind of caretaker role where he's helping Josh get to New York and because Billy took money from his dad's stash Mm -hmm. to help Josh out and he gets him to New York and gets him this hotel room that's super seedy it's awful Tom Hanks kind of beautifully shows this vulnerability and fear in the unknown that makes you kind of sympathize with him and they have this nice sort of contrast between this man that looks like a grown adult and this small boy and the boy is seems so confident, whereas Josh is just terrified. Yeah, there's and I think one of Tom Hanks's strongest scenes in the movie is that first night in the CD hotel, oh, yeah. where there's, he hears gunshots outside. It's just like the concentrated, all the scariest things about growing up in mm-hmm. the adult world are just in his face, and he's just crying on his little bed, and yeah. it's just so strikingly human. 
mm-hmm. and it kind of reminds you why Tom Hanks is really one of our greatest actors. Mm-hmm. God, it's turning into a real Tom Hanks love fest, isn't this? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a flaw. I mean, it is a little bit messed up, like his relationship with Elizabeth Perkins, especially at the end of the movie, um, Susan, his adult girlfriend, finds out uh, she takes him home, actually, after he's wished himself to be small again. And that's a little creepy to me. Yeah. I'd say the flaw. I I would say the flaw of this movie yeah. is the end of the Josh Susan relationship because. I don't buy that Susan suddenly realizes that he's telling the truth. That was it, a hard jump for me to make. If they had added in maybe one more scene, I it, it would have flowed a little better and maybe it would have made more sense. But the other thing is that when she takes him home, she's in his neighborhood and they have this moment in the car where she asks him, how old are you? Are you 16? And he says, no, younger. She's like 15 and he's like 13. And... She's just kind of like, oh, you, instead of being, oh, God, you know, her might reaction have, Might have in, scarred him with yeah. this early sexual experience. There's a lot of media out there that kind of gives, you know, it's a pat on the back if you have sex as a 13-year-old boy, even though it's actually not okay. Yeah, that's, that's way too young. Let me ask you something. When you were a kid, did you dream about being an adult? Like, did you spend a lot of time thinking, oh, I wish I was bigger so I could do this and this and this? Yeah, I would dream about, like, the career I had had. There was, you know, I used to watch surgery shows on Discovery Health Channel, and I'd think about being a surgeon and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess all kids do it, but I could really strongly relate because I feel like I spent my entire childhood just kind of having the same thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be a film director yeah and beyond making little movies in the backyard with the video camera like I wanted to hurry up and grow up yeah I think every kid goes through that so I kind of wish that I had grown up with this movie because it was very I mean if it's relatable to me now it probably would have been much more so as a kid well and it's kind of interesting because again it, it deals with that wonderment of man you get to be an adult isn't this amazing but then he kind of grows with this realization of how much he's missing out on and yeah. how he's going through this struggle of adulthood when he should be playing with his friends in the backyard that kind of thing and so it kind of makes you realize, you know, don't take that childhood for granted. Yeah, definitely. But it's it's also kind of one of the things that I kept thinking about after we finished this was he really peaked. Like, he had a great life. He had a fantastic apartment, everything he could have wanted. He was a vi- the vice president, right? He was the VP mm-hmm. of a toy company A very successful York. one at that. He was turning the oh, company yeah. around. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of interesting to think that what happened to him after when he really became an adult, right? Because he goes back to childhood. What really happened for that character? There's no way to top that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really sad to think about, but maybe he should have just stayed an adult because he was... Because you kind of wonder, like, is there, a, is there a reality where he turned into a janitor? 
or something like that. I mean, it was kind of the perfect storm that he happened to get this job, happened to literally run into Robert Logia and make friends with him. Yeah. Like, even working, like, a great job as an accountant is not being the vice president of a massive company. I mean, he he had reached the 1% in, like, yeah. four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Maybe less. What duration of time do this, does this take place in? Because it's kind of hard to keep track of. I don't know, because he does... Um... I'm trying to think because they didn't really use uh, seasonal cues because a lot of uh, movies will use the seasons to tell you how much time is passing. Like You've Got Mail does a really good job of doing that. Yeah. But in this one, I don't remember there being winter. It seemed like it did turn to fall, though. So maybe like a few months. It's hard to tell. I mean... But he and Susan develop a really deep relationship, and they spend a lot of time together, and he becomes much more of an adult by the end of the movie, and that's kind of where he has that stark realization of, oh my god, I need to go back. Yeah. Which, my god, what was his mom going through with this whole thing? That's just... And what does he say to her? What does he say where he's... How does he explain where he's been? If I were his mom, I'd be like, man, he needs to go into counseling for the rest of his life. Like, we need to make sure that he's okay. What did he... What happened to him? You just assume that he was abused. I mean, he did have sex while he was gone. Yeah. But I don't know if that was truly a trauma. Like, they showed it very positively in the film. Yeah. So that's not a trauma. But his mom is assuming major trauma. I mean, I guess he could ease her worries by saying, oh, it was fine. Well, he kept sending her letters saying, Mom, I'm having fun. They actually let me go outside today. (laughs) And another thing, like, she has a description of what Tom Hanks looks like, what Big Josh looks like. Would it trip her out when he... She's going to live to see him grow up into his own kidnapper. But the change would be so... Like, it would happen incrementally. You'd remember that, I don't think so. There's no photos. That's such a... I mean, that's probably the most traumatic experience of her life, the day her son went missing, and there was a grown man wearing his underwear dancing around the house. She'll remember that face. Although that's another criticism of Back to the Future, that her own son will grow up to look like Michael J. Fox. (laughs) But I digress. I feel like this is probably the most successful switcheroo, child becomes adult, adult becomes child kind of movie, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can only think of two others, which is 13 going on 30, which I did not like. I saw that in theaters. That was bad. Yeah. And then 17 again, which is kind of cute. Is that the Zac Efron one? Yeah, with Matthew Perry. I didn't see that. I think it's kind of sad that Zac Efron grew up to be Matthew Perry. <laughs> I, I can't remember how that worked. I think, yeah, I think it was that Zac Efron was the 17-year-old version of himself, right? I bl- I, I don't know. You tell I, me. I honestly don't remember. I saw it. It was on cable, and my dad and I watched it. I remember liking the both the old Freaky Friday and the Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Lee Curtis I think I like, I kind of like that one just because I love Jamie Lee Curtis in anything. Me too, yeah. Would you consider that uh, like a similar idea? It's a sort of similar idea, but that's also like a body swap, right? That's a little different. Body swap movies to me are always creepy. I feel like Freaky Friday managed to kind (laughs) of dance around it, but... In general, they're very creepy. Yeah. 
So, yep, Jennifer Garner is no Tom Hanks. Definitely and not. Nor is Zac Efron. You heard it here first, folks. I don't think we heard it here first. I think that's just known. <laughs> I think they heard it by watching movies. Uh, so you've seen three kind of Tom Hanks comedy classics. Sleepless in Seattle, Big, and uh, You've Got Mail. Also, let's include Splash, too. So of those four... Which did you like the most? Can you say that? They're very different to me. I was charmed with the sheer, like, 90s optimism of You've Got Mail. (laughs) It's a very, like, Clinton era, like, nothing's wrong. There's this crazy thing called the internet. You know, it's like a very... the future. It's a very, like, (laughs) low-stakes movie. So I enjoyed it for that reason. I'm not a fan of Sleepless in Seattle. Um, I, I can understand why. We've talked about this before. I, I mean, I, I think it's fine. I, it's, it's clearly like a well-made film. I just don't buy the central conceit of these... I'm going to get hate mail for this one. <laughs> uh, I just don't buy them as, I mean, not spending any time together for the entire duration of the movie and but they're soulmates i believe their relationship and you've got mail and they're actually it's so funny to me because those are misleading titles because i assumed you've got mail they only are communicating on the internet but they spend that whole movie together yeah we should actually do an episode on that it's yeah that's a fun see that's a good vhs movie it is i mean it has the aol chime in it yeah Splash, I don't remember super well. I remember it being cute. And yeah. I, you can't really go wrong with Ron Howard, in my opinion. Well, for the most part, of that era. <laughs> um, but I would say Big is my favorite of the... If we're going off just those four random Tom Hanks movies... Interesting. Then... So I guess this means we need to go into the ratings. Yeah, so... As you may know, dear listener, we have a special rating system on Tapeheads. Do you buy it? Do you rent it? Do you tape over it? Lindsay, this is your tape. How do you feel? Buy it. It's got its flaws, but I feel like it it still manages to have just enough timelessness in it. What with the, the sort of fantasy element and some of the scenes, they have like a big band scene and the carnival and that sort of thing. And it's just so, his performance is so endearing. I, I really just still love this movie, and I'm really glad it didn't let me down. Yeah, it holds up really well. Um, I think I'm going to go buy it also. I think I would love it even more if I'd grown up with it as you had. I think that with this subject matter, this is as good as this is as great of a movie as you can make out of oh, it. Yeah. I think that it clears so many hurdles, so many questions. I mean... It was kind of a strong choice to make the mom think that her son has been kidnapped <laughs> rather than just disappearing, but it commits to that choice, so I can't yeah. really fault it for that. I feel like if this movie was made now, there would be a scene with him running from the cops because they're trying to chase down the kidnapper, don't you think? I don't know. I, I know it would be a lot worse, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. But I feel like a lot of the thing, the like, a lot of the kind of risque places this movie goes i kind of appreciate it for that like you just couldn't do that now i mean there's a lot of taboos in this movie but i think it kind of makes it more interesting Mm -hmm. i don't know it's kind of countered by again this kind of feeling of childish innocence that i feel like it kind of um sort of counterbalances and evens out so that it's not unsettling or upsetting yeah i hear what you're saying 
All right, we'll double buy it. Oh, yeah. Can't beat that. And uh, what are we watching next time, Sean? Well, Lindsay, um, we release this show every other Monday, which means that the next one falls on February 29th. Oh. Leap day. So we're going to be leaping back in time. <laughs> oh, God. To the 1950s <laughs> to watch 1957's Child's Play 2. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we're doing. Billy Wilder's Child's Play 2. No. Uh, no. Uh, I really want to have a 50s sci fi movie on the show. I think oh, it was a very fun era. I tried to, I, because I, I did grow up with a lot of these movies. I grew up yeah. with a lot of black and white monster movies and alien movies. So I'm picking one from 1957 called Invasion of the Saucer Men. Oh. I don't remember much about it, but I do remember that it's some bulb-headed aliens running afoul of some drag-racing teens. I've so. seen the VHS, and the cover looks enticing. Yeah, yeah. So it should be fun. should be some good B-movie cheese. I like that you grew up with black and white horror movies, whereas I grew up with black and white screwball comedies. Yeah, I mean, we had a little bit of that. I mean, I we just had a great variety of movies in the house. Like, Marx Brothers movies, um, Alfred Hitchcock movies, Woody Allen. You know, like, it was, it was a big uh, variety of movies. Nothing was out of reach in our household. Well, except for Child's Play. At first. Temporarily. <laughs> I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song, Mandatory Groove. Uh, Will's actually put up a bunch of new music, he was telling me, so be sure to check that out at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. There's a link to it on our site. And you can also find more summaries of our other episodes on our website. Our website also links to both our SoundCloud and our iTunes. On iTunes, you can rate us and review us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And you can also email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. So that's it for Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. 